Good morning. Welcome to Great Oaks. For those of you who don't, uh, don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. I'm the youth pastor for the church. And um, that threw me off. What was that? Um, I don't normally have a cane. Um, I don't normally have knee surgery either. So uh, back in January, um, if, if you don't know me, just explain the cane away. Um, we were up at Miracle Camp with our middle school students. And even though I'm 40, I pretended to be 13. And uh, ended up tearing, like completely shredding the ACL, severing meniscus, and uh, having cartilage ripped out. And so I had surgery February 19th, eight weeks ago. And um, I'm off crutches, but I feel like this is like Linus's security blanket, right? Like I can't quite give up walking without something, um, but it just feels like the knee's going to keep giving out. So I, I know it's not. I, gotta, I just got to trust the surgery and, and trust the knee and all that. But uh, So I've got this, and anyway, we had the daddy-daughter dance last night in Germantown. I know some Metamore had it uh, Friday night, right? And uh, so Morgan and I went last night uh, here in Germantown, and a few years ago somehow I got um, conned into being up front with Jason Morris. If you might know Jason Morris, he's another local pastor, and um, Jason is like a theater guy, and so when we do the YMCA, he's up there like leading all these little girls in the YMCA move, and I got conned into it a few years ago, and so last night, even though I had this cane and I'm like, can't move, I'm up there like, YMCA, you know, and he's like dancing left and right, and I'm like, hey, with the guns, doing this, and it was, it was interesting, so, but uh, let me, uh, let me pray for us, I'm going to put this back here and just hold on to the table, so, <clears throat> let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are God uh, who extends scandalous grace. Father, grace that uh, we can't comprehend. Grace that we have a hard time giving to other people and giving to ourselves. Lord, this morning I pray that your spirit would speak through me. That uh, as we look at um, the final chapter of John, we look at Peter and um, his restoration. I pray that you would just uh, guide my words. Father, I pray that your spirit would fill this place and, and take what I say and, and just magnify it in the hearts and the minds of the audience. Father, as we walk out of here, may we walk out um, with a renewed understanding of who you are and your desire to interact with us. Father, we pray this morning that the service is our gift to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Has there ever been a time in your life when you made a big mistake? And, I'm, and I'm, I'm not talking being 40 and pretending like you're 13 and having knee surgery. I'm talking about a really big mistake. One that had uh, significant negative consequences in your life. One that when you made this mistake and, and, and truth came out, you were caught or, or you confessed or whatever it may be. I mean, it cost you something significant. Money, reputation, a job, relationships. Has there ever been a time where you made a big mistake? When I was 12 years old, uh, my mom was a bookkeeper at a, a local mechanic shop. And uh, this was a family that we were really close to. I mean, we, would, we weren't a Christian family, but the owner of this store, his name was Quincy, he had three sons that were all about my age, and I was really good friends with these three boys. And, and so this is a close family. It's a family, you know, family friend and, and uh, just a lot of, of deep history together. Well, during the summertime, my dad was on the road Monday through Friday, so I had to come into town, and we lived down the country, and come into town with mom and kind of be half-supervised, you know, throughout the day. And, and uh, so I was allowed into kind of the, the office area where Quincy and my mom had desks. And in, included in this office was a giant safe. And this safe was always open. I mean, it was a small town. Nobody else really was ever back there. It was just a really trusting environment. 
Well, for a 12-year-old who's coming from a poor family, seeing stacks of cash with an open safe door was a big temptation. And it wasn't long before I, I reached in and I took a five and I pocketed it and went to the store and bought candy. And then it wasn't long after that I got away with it, you know? So I was like, it wasn't long after that I took another five and maybe a 10 and occasionally a 20. And, which, you know, isn't the smartest thing because my mom's the bookkeeper, right? So, I mean, it was, I'm 12, right? I work with middle school students. I know that sometimes our brains don't work when we're 12. And we just make decisions that we're not thinking about. Over the course of a few weeks, I stole about $300 from my mom's office from my friend, my friend's dad, this family that kind of took us in, and, and even though we weren't Christians, and they were, and, and just kind of, they were, they were there for us, and I remember my mom came home one day, and it was on the weekend, she'd gone somewhere, and, and uh, she came home, and she said, you know, Chris, we need to talk, and I just knew, she said, we need to sit down and talk, fast forward about 12 years, I'm 24, I've been married three years to my wife, Karen, and we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary this year. During these first few years of marriage, I suddenly realized, not suddenly realized, I, I came to accept the fact that I had an addiction to pornography. And even though I tried to, to give it up over the years, I just couldn't do it. And, and, and I knew it was causing pain. I knew it was hurting her if she were to ever find out about it. And, and I tried and I tried and I tried and I just couldn't give it up. And I remember reading a book one day that just the Holy Spirit just used to convict me and Karen came home from work, and I knew I needed to, to confess to her. And so I said, I said, honey, can you sit down? I need to tell you something. You ever made a mistake like that? One that had significant negative consequences? Maybe it, maybe it wasn't stealing something. Maybe it wasn't a porn addiction. But you did something, and, and maybe it's something you never thought you would do. But suddenly you find yourself facing some significant negative consequences. Maybe you started a rumor about someone and that person found out and you lost a friend. Maybe you, you copied somebody else's homework and turned it in as your own and, and the teacher called you on it. Maybe you cheated on your taxes and got audited by the IRS. You lied to close out a, a business deal and your client and your boss both discovered the truth when, when you couldn't deliver on your end of the bargain. Maybe you fudged a little bit on an application and then your background check didn't match up. Maybe you drove home drunk one night. You caused an accident, and suddenly you find yourself sitting on the side of the road next to your car with a police officer holding a breathalyzer in front of you. Maybe you got arrested for something, and you find yourself in the court waiting for the, the judge to hammer down the gavel. Maybe your husband discovers hundreds of questionable text messages between you and another man. Maybe your wife discovers your last business trip wasn't as innocent and boring as you told her it was. I don't know what your story is, but I think over our lifetime, we're all going to find ourselves in a situation like this. We, we've made a decision. Maybe it was premeditated. Maybe it was spontaneous, but it was a mistake, and the truth comes out, and the consequences are significant. This is where we find Peter, one of the closest friends of Jesus, at the end of, of John's gospel, and if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to, to John chapter 21. We're going to finish out this series called Famous Last Words this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to review our timeline up to this point before I start reading from John 21. Jesus has come into Jerusalem with his, his squad, and, and he says, hey, I want to have one last meal with you. And so he says, let's make arrangements for this last supper. And so they're at the table, and, and Jesus is breaking bread and, and pouring the wine, and he's explaining all this. And he's last final, final last words to his friends. And he says, you know, I'm about to go somewhere that you can't follow. 
And Peter, ever the impetuous man, says, I'll follow you anywhere, even to the point of death. And Jesus looks at his friend and I think with compassion, with a broken heart, he says, no. He says, before this very night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And then we fast forward and Jesus is arrested. He's before the, the Jews and he's, he's being falsely accused of all these things. And, and, and Peter's there, but he's not brave enough to go into the inner room where, they're, where they have Jesus. So he stays outside and it's a little chilly and there's a, a fire outside. And he's warming himself by the fire. And don't think bonfire. Don't think about our campfires. This is just a, a small little uh, pile of coals. And it's emitting a little bit of light so it's hard to see. And, but there's this aroma coming off of it that's you know, unmistakable. And, and, and a servant girl looks at Peter, and he says, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? No, I don't know the man. Another person comes up around the fire and says, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? No, I don't, I don't know the man. The third person comes up and says, aren't you one of Jesus' friends? And Peter cries out, I don't know this man. He begins to, to call down curses on him. And in that moment, the rooster crows. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you, you know that moment when Jesus, in the midst of being um, beaten, turns and makes eye contact with Peter. And Peter's heart is just pierced because he knows he just made a big mistake. When we fast forward and Jesus is crucified, he's, he's buried in an empty, borrowed tomb. And all of a sudden, Peter and all the others are left, what, what do we do now? We just, we just lost our best friend. We just lost this, this guy that we call Jesus, who, who was a homeless rabbi who claimed to be the son of God. Did, did we just waste the last two to three years of our lives? Did, did we put you know, all of our time and energy into the wrong person? What are we supposed to do? You ever been there? You, you ever been there where, where your life is heading in one direction and, and all of a sudden it just takes a turn completely unexpected? I know I have. And I know what I did. In moments like those, I, I went back to what I knew. When, when Karen and I were first married, we owned a Dairy Queen. It's, it's a long but delicious story. And, um, it, but it was a seasonal store, so we, had, we were open 34 weeks out of the year. And in those off weeks, you know, we had a little bit of work to do, but not a lot. And we, we had money, and, and I could have just sat back, but I'm not a guy who sits around real easily. And so I needed to do something. So I, I started substitute teaching. I'd never done it before. I just fell in love with teaching, fell in love with students, and, and just loved that whole environment. This, the Dairy Queen opened back up, and we went back to that, and the next year after it closed, we went back to substitute teaching. And, uh, we did Dairy Queen for a couple years, and, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I do now? I, you know, do I keep in business? Do I go into teaching? I don't know what to do, and so I went back to what I knew. I went back to substitute teaching. I got a job you know, a few months after that, and I was teaching computer uh, software around Chicago area, wearing a suit and tie every day, and not me. And um, did it for about four or five months and realized, like, this, this just isn't my job. This isn't my gig. And, and so I, I quit and didn't have another job lined up. So guess where I went? Substitute teaching. I went back to what I knew and trying to figure out where's my life going to go next. And we see Peter do the same thing here. Remember, Peter, before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a fisherman. And, and all of a sudden, he's finding himself with Jesus in the tomb and not remembering Jesus' words. He's going to rise from the dead or maybe not believing those words. And so what does he do? He goes back to fishing. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. And we're just going to read the, the entire chapter. We're going to look at this and make some comments as we go. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. We'll discover here in a few moments that this is actually the third time that Jesus has appeared to his followers. 
It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples who evidently were important enough to be named, uh, were all together. And Peter says, I'm going to go fish because that's what I do. I'm a fisherman. I don't know where my life's going right now. I'm kind of in turmoil, so I'm going to go to what I know. I'm going to go fish. And they all said, well, we'll go with you because most of us are fishermen too. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John, uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. Most of us, you know, strip down a little bit when we go swimming, but Peter evidently likes to swim fully clothed, so he jumps in, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards, which, you know, they're a football field length away from shore when Peter jumps in fully clothed to swim to shore. He says, when they landed, verse 9, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, Hold on to that moment. There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. I love the fact that scripture tells us there were 153 fish in there. Why do we need to know that? Who knows? But it tells us that and it proves some accuracy somehow. I don't know. But I love the fact that we know there were 153. Not 152, not 154, but 153. But it says, even with so many of the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. I wonder how Jesus felt when Peter denied him the third time. But Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. History tells us that, that Peter was crucified like Christ, but because he didn't deem himself worthy of being crucified exactly like Christ, he asked his, his, his uh, crucifiers to hang him upside down to be crucified because he didn't feel honored enough to be crucified like his Lord Jesus. And then Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? We're okay suffering for Jesus, right? As long as other people are suffering too. Like, I'll go die for you, God, but make sure that this guy does too, right? It's just human nature. We want to make sure we're, we're going to the cross with other people. We never want to go on our own. And it goes on and it has some things there, but the end of Peter's story is there. I, I can't unpack everything in, in chapter 21, but I want to draw your attention to this. Notice in verse 9 that it says that when they came to shore, Jesus had a fire going and there was bread and fish on there. Why do we need to know that? 
The Greek word there for fire is um, anthrakia. I don't know if I said that right or not, but um, anthrakia literally means a fire of coals. It's the same Greek word in John 18, 18, when Peter standing around a fire, when being asked by three people, are you one of his friends? It's the exact same situation, exact same fire. The sense of smell is one of the greatest senses to trigger your memory, right? Earlier this year, my son, he's on a basketball team in Germantown, and he'd forgotten something at home and for the, he needed for the game. And so when we got to the school, Karen's like, hey, just run into the locker room. And I went in the locker room at Germantown Hills, and I'll tell you what, middle school boy locker rooms smell the same now as they did 25 years ago, right? I mean, just a little more axe now. We didn't have axe back then. But literally, I walked into the locker room at Germantown Hills, and I'm like, wow, I'm 12 again. Like, I'm in my middle school again. Morgan went to our neighbor's house to, to help take care of the cat, and there was some lotion there, and she, she used some lotion. She came home, and, and she was snuggling with me on the couch, and I'm like, I'm like, what is that smell? And she's like, oh, it's just some lotion. I'm like, no, that's my aunt's house in California. Like, that's amazing odor, right? I mean, smell triggers memories for us. And Peter comes walking up on shore, wading through the water, and he sees this fire, and he smells, and it's almost like it's this flashback moment for Peter where Jesus is setting the stage to just take him back through everything they've been through before. It's, it's kind of like in the end of a movie when, when the lead character is in this moment of inner turmoil and trial, and, and, and he's just trying to persevere through the situation at hand, and, and then all of a sudden the, the, the producers, the director, starts flashing through all the scenes from the last two hours, and, and he gives the person strength, right? It reminds them where they've been and gives them strength to move forward. And this is what we see happen with Peter here. I mean, everything that's happened in John 21 has already happened. If you look back on, on Peter's time with Jesus, there was a moment when Peter was out fishing and Jesus is on the shore and, and he's teaching and he gets in the boat with Peter and he says, hey, have you caught anything? Peter's like, no. And Jesus is like, hey, throw the net over there. And he, okay, throws the net out and, and it got so many fish that the net began to break. There was a time when, when Jesus stole a little kid's lunch and fed 5,000 people with fish and bread and, and Peter's looking here at fish and bread. There's a time where Jesus sat with Peter and he broke bread around a table and he said, this is my body broken for you. And Jesus sits around this pile of coals and breaks bread and hands it to Peter. It's like a flashback scene. Peter, aren't you a friend of Jesus? Peter, do you love me? Aren't you a friend of Jesus? Peter, do you love me? Aren't you... A friend of Jesus? Peter, do you love me? Three questions led to the rejection of Jesus. Three questions led to the restoration of Peter. It's interesting, in the Greek language, we have three different words for the word love. In English, we have one word, it's love. And we use it all the time, no matter what our context, right? I love my wife, I love my kids, I love pizza, right? I mean, it's, they're not all the same, right? And so you kind of understand the context to say, okay, what type of love is Chris talking about here? In Greek, we know what kind of meaning they have in their words. And, and so we see Jesus, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me with everything? Do you love me that you would sacrifice everything for me? Are you willing to give your full commitment to me? And Peter looks at him and doesn't respond back with agape. He says, I phileo you. I love you like my brother. 
And Jesus again says, Peter, do you agape me? Are you willing to, to do everything for me? Peter says, I, I flail you. I love you. But I, I've already shown I'm not willing to give it all. I failed you. And so Jesus recognizes that that's where Peter's at, and he understands that he accepts it. And his third question, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I, I phileo you. And Jesus says, okay, follow me. God does that to us. He looks at us even in these moments that we make these big mistakes that have significant negative consequences. And he says, you know, I know you're ashamed. I know you're humiliated. And he says, I know you can't give it to me all right now, but I'm going to take you where you are. But I'm not willing to leave you there. We're going to move forward in this. And in those moments that we make mistakes, I mean, we stand before our family and our friends, we're ashamed. We're humiliated. We can't look him in the eyes. And God says, that's okay, but I'm not going to leave you there. So my mom comes home. She says, Chris, we need to sit down and talk. And she said, have you been stealing money from the shop? <laughs> There's no point in lying. I was busted. I said, yeah. She said, you're going to have to go talk to Quincy. And I loved Quincy. He was a father to figure to me. He was a man I greatly admired, greatly respected, and I was ashamed of what I'd done to him. And I went, and I went to Quincy, and I sat down, and obviously he already knew what was going on because my mom had told him. I confessed. And he says, Chris, I, I forgive you. I'd never heard those words from a man like Quincy. I was expecting call the police, go into juvie. I don't know, what your 12-year-old imagination goes crazy when you're getting busted for stealing $300. And he says, I love you, I forgive you. He says, but you're going to work it off. There's some consequences for your actions. And so I worked for him for about four or five weeks to earn the money back, to pay him back. Karen came home. I sat her down. I said, honey, I've been lying to you for the last five years. I've got this porn addiction, and I just want to come clean. And over time, she was able to say, I forgive you. It wasn't immediate. It caused a lot of pain. But over time, she was able to say, I forgive you. And we've rebuilt our marriage from that moment on. See, grace is scandalous. The grace of Jesus is scandalous. We need to wrap our minds around us that, that God loves us more than we would ever imagine. And in these moments where we make big mistakes, I think there's some common questions we ask ourselves. At least these are questions I asked, I asked myself. Can God ever forgive me? I mean, I wrestled with that. Not so much when I was 12 because I didn't know God, but when I was 24 and I was a, a volunteer in the church and, and I was a Christian and I was supposed to be the spiritual leader in my family, you know, I'm asking myself, God, how can you forgive me? I am dirt for putting my wife through this. And then I read verse like Psalms 103, 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. I mean, I can't wrap my head around the fact that, that God could forgive me of my sin, great or small. But he's willing to look at me and say, I forgive you. I sent my son to die on the cross for you, for that sin, for that moment. See, another question is, can others forgive me? 
I mean, I had to ask that of Quincy. I had to ask that of, of Karen. I've had to ask that of other people in my life. Can you forgive me? And this one is challenging because we don't have power to answer this question as the one who offended other people. We don't have the authority to say, hey, you should forgive me now. I'm proven myself trustworthy. I made that mistake with Karen about six months in. I'm like, hey, I'm, I mean, come on, I'm trustworthy now. And she said, I will let you know when you're trustworthy. And I learned a valuable lesson at that point. The offended is the one who gets to say when I'm forgiven. See, this is hard. Because we have no control over that. And if you're the one that's been offended, if you were my wife, if you were Quincy, if you are somebody else that somebody has offended, I want to challenge you with the words of Colossians 3, verse 13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, if we truly understand the depth of God's forgiveness for us, how can we not also administer that to, other, to another person? How could we not also say to another human being, I forgive you for hurting me? And I know there's depths of pain, okay? I'm not trying to, to simplify this down. There are depths and levels of, of pain and offense and hurt that people have caused you. And there's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to, to restore relationships. Some relationships don't need to be restored. But you'd have to forgive. Otherwise, you're holding on to that bitterness. And it's going to eat you up inside. Lastly, can I forgive myself? And in my experience, this is most difficult. I'm, I'm my harshest critic. When I make a mistake, I'm going to be the one that knows it. And I'm going to own it. I'm going to identify it. And I'm going to beat myself up over it for a long time afterwards. And this is tough. If it, let, me, let, me, let me clarify. This is tough if you're truly sincere and you're seeking of forgiveness and reconciliation. If you don't care, if you just want to be a jerk, you know, hey, you don't have to ask, how can, you, you know, can I forgive myself? You'll be a jerk to whomever. But if you're sincerely trying to pursue reconciliation, to pursue holiness as, as God defines holiness for us in the Scripture, this is going to be a challenge. See, we're still going to make mistakes. We're, we're still going to do things that are wrong. I'm going to yell at my kids too much. I'm going to get too impatient in the school drop-off zone. Still, after nine years or eight years of this, it's the most agonizing five minutes of my day. I'm still going to look at women that aren't my wife. Let's just be honest. I'm, I'm going to sin. But the question is, am I doing that less and less? As I draw closer to Jesus, am, am I yelling at my kids less? Are they experiencing a, a compassionate, loving, and yet disciplinary father? Or are they experiencing an angry, tired, crabby dad? As I go into the school drop-off zone, am, am I being challenged to pray for that family? who I don't know what they're going through that morning. Maybe they had a crazy morning. Maybe they just found out that, that a loved one is dying. Who knows why they're taking an extra 30 seconds to hug their child before handing them off. But am I praying for that person instead of becoming impatient? Am I bouncing my eyes away from women who aren't my wife and reserving my passion, my desire for her and her alone? Am I growing in that? See, we have to learn to extend this grace to ourselves as well, and I found this is mo even uh, more challenging than the others. Because I know my faults. I know where I fail. I know where I'm gonna struggle. And I know this is gonna be a lifelong battle. 
but am I moving forward? Am I making progress in that? If so, then I need to learn to forgive myself. You see, Peter's story is a story of restoration. It's a, it's a story of hope. It's a, it's a message of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a reminder that, that no mistake is too big no mistake is, is too final, too all-consuming that God cannot restore us back into right relationship with him and with other people. This is, this is our story. Ultimately, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you broken because we all know that we've been the offender. We've offended you in our sin. We've offended others with our pride and selfishness and ego and anger and jealousy. We make mistakes, Lord. We stumble. And yet you desire to pick us back up. Sometimes just to dust us off and say, hey, watch that rock. Other times is to pick us up and to say, go and sin no more. Yeah, what you've done is wrong. Don't keep doing it. Father, thank you that you are a God who rebuilds. That you're a God who redeems. That, that you are a God who restores. Father, this morning, as your spirit speaks to us and we look at our life in areas where we've failed, we've made mistakes, would you bring restoration to our souls this morning? as we come before you, as we surrender everything, as we, we lay our lives down at the cross, would you teach us the depths of your scandalous grace? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.